O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with honor and glory. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What about the four-leaf clover? Yes, the four-leaf clover. When I first learned how to talk about the Trinity, how God can be three and one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all one, it was suggested to be like St. Patrick and use a three-leaf clover. Now, St. Patrick, the one who brought Christianity to Ireland in the 5th century, was walking through a field of clover one day when he came along some people who wanted to know more about his God. And so he plucked up the three-leaf clover and explained to them that there were more than one ways to know God that God was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all one, just as there are three leaves to the clover and one plant. 
He tried to explain that our God is a dynamic being and cannot be restricted to one way of being known. The source of life, life itself, and life in and through and among and beyond all life. But I, concerned about the oddity, the defiant one, wanted to know about the four-leaf clover. What about that one that breaks the mold and the rules, the one we hunch over that field of green, searching for hours to find, that one that confounds our expectations? Now, my concern for the oddity might be diagnosed as oppositional behavior disorder or anxiety disorder. It might also just be taken simply as asking questions of church doctrine, testing the elasticity of a metaphor, seeing how far we can stretch until it snaps back with a painful pinch or breaks altogether. What about how we know God. If we are to pay attention to the Psalms, we will find that it is in the asking the questions that is a good place to start to know about God. So let's imagine the poet lying there on the ground in the dirt, staring up into the billions of stars in the night sky, so beautiful, it's impossible to think, but just be in that awesome moment, in that mystery. Can you feel that moment? When we go out on the trail, a hike Rock Creek Park, a go to Yellowstone and Jackson Hole. It's why we go there. To be in those moments of awe and the magnificence of God. It's why we dig in the garden or sit at the kitchen table and listen to the birds at dusk. God shows up in mud and stars. The one lying out on the ground in the dirt who are we that you care about us? And the answer comes in that moment of awe and mystery. I made you. That's who you are. You are part of my mystery and beauty. Be in awe. I created you and give you worth and dignity. I give you power. I trust you to care for the hummingbird and the cow and the whale and the minnow and the great white shark. So I have this image of God handing a three-year-old a bean sprout in a Dixie cup filled with dirt, praying that we keep it alive. Sometimes people say to me, well, what does earth care have to do with the Bible and spirituality? This is it. 
The creator of the universe has trusted us with caring for that creation. God is praying that the three-year-old with the Dixie cup can keep the bean sprout alive. So thanks be to God for the 200,000 signatures. Thanks be to God for all of the ways in which we participate in keeping the bean sprout alive. God loves us. God shares power with us. And it is this experience of God, the advance of the divine, the creator, the human, the one in flesh, the power to create that moves through in all that led people to put that experience under the stars into words in the church to somehow capture that moment of father, son, material world, and breath of life, Holy Spirit. It is important today to consider that beautiful imagery of the Trinity, and really the first part, the Father part, because it's Father's Day, and because our culture has so badly warped the image of God the Father. Now, Roman law, the time in which Jesus lived and preached, Roman law gave heightened authority to fathers over their descendants and over their household. And it was even power to determine whether an infant lived or died. Jesus rejected that kind of power, power over the vulnerable and the weak, and instead Jesus was the one who got down on his hands and knees and blessed and played with the little children. Jesus was the one who invited women into power. Now we have this upsurge of bias against women in our nation. It's that insistence that there is a divine mandate that men have power over women and authority over women. It's the thinking that reduces women to less than and not just a little less than God, as Psalm 8 says, but also a little less than men. A little less than fully human. I think Jesus would be horrified. This is not the God the Father he worshipped and not God the Father he taught us about. Jesus took his identity from how he knew God to be, loving and forgiving, constantly giving power away in food, to the hungry in healing for the people when the bent over woman with the flow of blood came up behind Jesus and touched even just the hem of his garment, Jesus felt power flow from him and she was healed. 
Jesus understood God to be the kind of father who is foolish enough to celebrate by killing the fatted calf when the prodigal, the disrespectful sons and daughters decide to come home. They deserve none of the forgiveness, but that's who God the Father is. The key to knowing how Jesus understood God as Father is the name that Jesus gave for God. The word Abba in Greek, Abba. It's a term of endearment that a child might use. Like the cards given today from the children to Daddy. Daddy, I love you. Daddy. It's that intimacy of being so close. So close. Daddy. Now Jesus used many metaphors for God. The woman who searched for the lost coin the mother hen protecting her brood, the good shepherd searching for that one lost sheep. By the time of the writing of the Gospel of John, a hundred years after Jesus was born, some 70 years after he had died and lived again, the language about Jesus and God had become so abstract that Jesus is now the logos of God, the utterance of God, the word of God. But way back, way back, when our faith was being formed back at the time of the Exodus, back at the time of Moses, when Moses was pulled from that basket in the Nile and Moses grew up to be that man who was shepherding sheep in the mountains and came across the burning bush, that mystery in nature where God showed up Moses heard God call him to go and free the people who were slaves in Egypt. And Moses was trying to get a grasp on this, trying to get a grasp on this voice, on this being, on this presence of mystery coming out of this burning bush. And as Moses was trying to grasp the divine, Moses asked God, well, who are you? Tell me your name. And God said, Moses, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. You don't get to grasp me or hold on to me or define me. 
I am the experience of mystery who calls to you in awe that you may experience and lead people into greater and greater life. I am who I am. I am more. It's interesting that the word father is rarely used for God in the Old Testament. I sort of didn't know that, or I'd forgotten it. But there is such an abundance of metaphors for God, because that's all we have, are metaphors. God is like. God is like. So God is like the shepherd who keeps watch over the sheep. God is like the king in glory seated on the throne that Isaiah saw in the vision in the temple. So great and majestic that Isaiah could only, only see the hem of the robe of God's garment. God is the pillar of fire that led the Hebrew people to freedom, that pillar of fire at night and cloud by day. When people were doing battle, as they often did, God was the rock, the high rock on the battlefield that you could climb up onto for safety and to see or hide behind. God is my rock. God, said the prophet, is a woman panting and crying out in labor to give birth to something new. God is the wind that blew at creation, that we breathe. God is the mother eagle sheltering her young. A mighty fortress is our God, strong and safe. Father of widows and orphans, those no one else will care for, a shield. When somebody comes at you with words that are sharp as arrows, hold up the shield. That is God. God is laughter. God is wine. God is the mother nursing a child at her breast. God is even a wild dog. Such an abundance I think that St. Patrick was right to pick a simple clother. It's not hard, said the saint, for God is all around us. That field of green in nature, in the wonder, in the mystery, in the beauty, in the awe, in the woods behind your house, in the garden, at that kitchen table at dusk as you listen to that bird song, in the art museum, in the beauty of the perfect pitch at the ball game, in the unfathomable, un, 
unfathomable love of a parent for a newborn child. God is that ordinary. God is that extraordinary. Stop and look and wonder even at the three-leaf clover and God will meet you there. But what about the four-leaf clover? The one that breaks the mold. I had never heard before of the image of God as a wild dog. It's hidden in the Hebrew parallelism of parallelism of Psalm 59. You have to know the Hebrew to get to see it. It's a gem. The image of God as a wild dog taking on a pack of ravenous wolves. It's different. It's interesting. It surprises me. Today, that will be my four-leaf clover. What's yours? Don't know? Go find it. Amen.